Hello and welcome to my Parsha Shir. This week we will be looking at Parsha Sra'i. This Parsha Shir is sponsored by Dr. Susan Grayson, in memory of her late husband, William Grayson, Bel Ben Moshe, Zichron Levracha, whose yard site is on the 25th of Av. May his Neshama have an Aliyah, and may we all be Zoycha to see Trias Hamesim. Today I am going to delve into and expand upon a beautiful piece on Parsha Sra'i by the late Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Zichron Levracha. It continues with the theme of joy that was the topic of last week's Parsha Shir. And thank you to all of you who reached out to say you enjoyed last week's share. I love hearing from you and I am always happy with feedback. So here goes. On the 14th of October 1663, Samuel Pepys paid a visit to the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue in Creechurch Lane in London. For those of you who don't know, Samuel Pepys was an English naval administrator and a member of parliament best known for his detailed and candid diary, which provides a first-hand account of significant events in 17th century England, including the Great Fire of London and the Plague. If you want to read an amazing book about Pepys, the definitive biography is The Unequaled Self by Claire Tomalin, which was published in 2002. I highly recommend it. But back to Pepys' visit to the synagogue. Jews were banished from England in 1290, but in 1656, after Rabbi Benasha ben Israel of Amsterdam came to visit Oliver Cromwell to try and persuade him that Jews should be allowed back into England, Cromwell decided that there was, in fact, no legal barrier to Jews living there. So, for the first time since the 13th century, Jews could officially live in England. A group of Sephardic Jews moved to London and opened a shul and they were able to conduct religious services and live openly as Jews. This first synagogue, the one that Pepys visited, was actually a private house and it belonged to a successful Portuguese Jewish merchant, Antonio Fernandes Carvajal, that had been enlarged to accommodate the congregation. Pepys had visited the synagogue once before at the memorial service for Carvajal, who died in 1659. That occasion had understandably been sombre and respectable, but what he saw on his second visit was entirely different. What he encountered, as he described in his famous diary, was a scene of festivity and revelry that left him scandalised and outraged. This is what Pepys wrote in his diary that day, and I've simplified some of the Old English to make it easier to understand. After dinner, my wife and I, by Mr Rawlinson's conduct, went to the Jewish synagogue where the men and boys were in their shawls and the women were behind a lattice out of sight. Their service is done all in a singing way and in Hebrew, and then they take out their scrolls of the ark, they take them from the ark, and they are carried by several men, four or five in all, and they relieve one another. Whether it is that everyone wants to carry it, I cannot tell. And in this way, they carried it around the room while singing. But Lord, to see the disorder, the laughing, the frolicking, and the inattention, all I could see was confusion. They were more like brutes than people knowing the true God. Seeing such a thing would make any man reject ever seeing them again, and indeed, I never saw such a thing, nor could have imagined that there was any religion in the whole world 
so absurdly performed as this. Those are Pepys' words. Rabbi Sachs sums it up beautifully. Poor Pepys. No one told him that the day he chose to come to the synagogue was Simchas Torah, nor had he ever seen in a house of worship and witnessed anything like the exuberant joy of the day when we dance with the Torah scrolls as if the world was a wedding and the book is the bride, and when we dance with the same abandon as King David when he brought the Holy Ark into Jerusalem. The truth is, joy is not the first word that comes to mind when we think of the severity of Judaism as a moral and legal code, nor when we consider the tear-stained pages of Jewish history. As Rabbi Sachs puts it so well, all Jews have degrees in misery, postgraduate qualifications in guilt, and gold medal performances in wailing and lamentation. And as someone once summed up the Jewish festivals in three sentences, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. But the truth is, despite it all, we can't escape the fact that joy is right at the heart of Judaism. It is the oxygen that enlivens our faith. All you need to do is open to Hillim, the book of Psalms, and you will see the unbridled joy. We have rules of mourning and grieving, governing how we must behave when someone close dies. And the main idea of these laws, actually, is that mourning and grieving are limited. We are sad for a limited amount of time. But then it's back to the default, which is pure joy, unadulterated by sadness and melancholy. And guess what? Joy is one of the key words of Sefer Dvarim, the fifth and final book of the Torah. The root for the Hebrew word for joy, samech, mem, ches, samach, appears once each in each of Bereshis, Shmois, Vayikra, Bamidba. But it appears 12 times in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, and seven of those mentions are in Parshas Ra'eh. Moses is preparing the nation for their move into the Promised Land, when there will be a nation that is master of its own destiny, in its own country. And Moses keeps on repeating again and again that joy is what we need to feel in the land of Israel, the land given to us by God, the place to which the whole of Jewish life has been directed since the dawn of history, since the days of Abraham and Sarah leaving their home and heading towards Canaan. The universe is vast, with its countless galaxies and stars, and it is the awesome product of God's omnipotence. Within it is planet, planet Earth, a mere speck, and within that speck is the land of Israel, a tiny stretch of land. And in Israel, nestling in the hills, is a tiny but sacred city called Jerusalem. This is where God is closest, where his presence lingers in the air, and where we can encounter him in all his glory. There, said Moses, there will be a special place, Hamakom asher yivcha Hashem elokechem lasumet shemosham, the place that Hashem your God will choose to place his name there. And in that place, says Moses, you will celebrate the love that exists between a small and otherwise insignificant people and God, who took them as his own nation and lifted them to greatness. It will be there that the entire tangled narrative of Jewish history would become clear, where a whole people will sing together, 
worship together and celebrate the festivals together, knowing that the essential story of a nation is not and can never be purely about empire or conquest, nor is society about hierarchy and power. Rather, it is about the fact that whether you are an ordinary citizen or you are the king, whether you are from the Israelite tribes or you are a priest or Levite, all are equal in the eyes of God. And as Rabbi Sachs expresses it so beautifully, all voices in his holy choir and all dancers in the circle at whose centre is the radiance of the divine. Indeed, this is what the covenant is really about, the transformation of the human condition through what the poet William Wordsworth called the deep power of joy. According to the Greek philosopher Aristotle, eudaimonia is the ultimate purpose of human existence. Eudaimonia is a term that refers to a contented state of being when someone is healthy, happy and prosperous, but principally it means being happy and full of joy. As he said, joy is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. And there's a, there's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, joy is the serious business of heaven. By the way, C.S. Lewis had a stepson called David Gresham, who became a full-fledged Orthodox Jew, a Satmar Chosid, actually. He changed his name to David Gershon. It's one of the fascinating vignettes I have filed away for a future episode of Curiosities from the Margins of Jewish History. I have one more quote for you. This one from Albert Schweitzer. I absolutely love this one. Success is not the key to happiness, but happiness is the key to success. All of us want many things, but usually those things are merely a means to something else. There is only one thing that is always desirable in and of itself and never for the sake of something else, and that thing is happiness. This idea is front and center in Judaism. Classical Hebrew has a number of words for happiness, just like Eskimos have many words for snow. One of those words is Ashrei, and it is the first word of Tehillim of Psalms, and one of the central words of our daily prayers. But far more often, Tanakh speaks about Simcha, joy. And they're different things, slightly different. Happiness is something you can feel alone. But if you look into it in the Hebrew scriptures, in Tanakh, joy is something you share with others. For example, for the first year, after getting married, a husband must stay at home to bring joy to the wife he has married. Here's another example. The description of bringing Bikurim, first fruits, to the temple, which was a gathering of people from all over the country. You shall rejoice in all the good things Hashem your God has given to you and to your household. And then there is that line in Parshas Kisavoy, which I quoted in the other shir. It is one of the most extraordinary lines in the whole Torah. Moses says, do you know why bad things will happen to you? Because you did not serve Hashem your God with joy and gladness. Not Aristotle, not C.S. Lewis, not Albert Schweitzer, nor indeed anyone else could have expressed it so clearly and so well. A failure to rejoice is the first sign of decadence and decay. Without joy, without gladness, we are not serving God and we are doomed. Let me go back to Rabbi Sachs. 
In Judaism, he writes, joy is the supreme religious emotion. Here we are, all of us, in a world filled with beauty. Every breath we breathe is the spirit of God within us. Around us is the love that moves the sun and all the stars. We are here because someone wanted us to be here. The soul that celebrates sings. Of course, life is full of sorrow, heartache, disappointment, problems and pains. But beneath it all is the wonder that we are here in a universe filled with beauty, among people, each of whom carries within them a trace of the face of God. The Gemara in Shabbos Taf Lamadon base teaches that Rabbi Huda said in the name of Rav, a person will have to give an account for any permissible thing he saw but did not eat. He will be punished for not enjoying the permissible pleasures of the world. There's a fabulous story, Maseches Tanis Taf Chof Beis Amadalef, Rabreika Chayza'a was a frequent visitor to the bustling market of Beilefet, where merchants shouted their prices and children ran between the stalls. Rabreika Chayza'a is an enigmatic Amoira, not so much known for his statements about Halacha as for the stories about him, and the stories usually involve him meeting Eliyahu Hanovi, and his visits to the Beilefet market were not shopping trips. He often had encounters with none other than Eliohanovi in this market, when Elijah appeared to him in the guise of a, a seemingly ordinary man. One day, as the sun cast long shadows between the market stalls, Rabbi Breka approached Eliohanovi with a question that weighed on his heart. In this crowd, he asked, gesturing to the throngs of people bustling between the market stalls, are there souls? who are destined for the world to come? Who among these people is going to Olam Haba? Eliohanovi scanned the crowd for a moment and then pointed out two brothers some distance away. Their attire wasn't particularly distinguished, nor did they have the aura of scholars. They seemed like any of the other people doing their shopping in the marketplace, nondescript and unassuming. Intrigued, Rabbi Breka approached them. He was curious to find out what they had done that merited such an acknowledgement from the Prophet from Eliohanavi. Tell me, Rabbi Breker said to them after introducing himself, what is it that you do in life? We're comedians, one of the brothers explained with a modest shrug, a hint of a smile dancing on his lips. Rabbi Breker looked at him quizzically. Comedians, he said, sounding surprised. Yes, the man replied, when we seize someone downcast, carrying the full weight of the world's troubles on their shoulders, we make them laugh, we cheer them up, we lighten their spirit. The other brother now chimed in. That's not it, he said. When we witness two people who are in a fight, we intervene with humour and wit, reminding them of the shared laughter and common humanity that binds us all, and when we get them laughing, they soon make up and are joyful. Suddenly, Rabbi Breka understood. In a world filled with challenges and strife, these two brothers had chosen a unique path. With humour as their tool, they healed broken spirits and mended fractured relationships. Their joy was infectious, bridging gaps and fostering harmony within the community. 
as Rabbi Breakup pondered this revelation, he realized that holiness doesn't always reside in grand gestures or profound rituals. Sometimes it is found in a shared joke, a moment of laughter, or the simple act of bringing joy to another person's day. Elsewhere in Masechus Tanis, which, by the way, is the tractate that deals with some pretty depressing material and laws, there's an account of how the greatest sages of the Talmud, including Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, Rabbi Akiva, and others, they would dance and juggle in front of brides at weddings to generate joy and happiness. Even someone at the peak of society's pyramid can suspend their dignity and formality to bring joy into someone's life. And if they can do it, if they can do it, think about us, ordinary folk. We have no excuse whatsoever not to do it. There's the famous story about Rabbi Levi Yitzchok of Badichev and the joyful water carrier. One day, Rabbi Levi Yitzchok of Badichev was walking along the street when suddenly he heard singing and laughter from a distance. Following the sounds, he came upon a simple water carrier who was singing joyfully as he carried heavy buckets of water on his, on his shoulders. Struck by the man's evident happiness and joy, Despite his strenuous work, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak approached him. Why are you so joyful? he asked. The water carrier put down his buckets and responded with a big smile. Why shouldn't I be? he said. God has given me the strength to carry water and provide for my family. Every day I wake up healthy, I have work, I'm surrounded by beauty, the beauty of nature, the songs of the birds and the kindness of the people in our town. There's so much to be grateful for, so much to be joyful for. So I sing and I greet everyone with a smile and a joke. I have every reason to be joyful and I am joyful. I believe Yitzhak, deeply moved by the man's words, gave him a blessing. He would often repeat this story. And at the end, he would tell his audience, whoever they were, remember this well, the path to serving God and having true piety is not necessarily through deep study or by being super serious. More often, God and meaning are found in the simple joy and gratitude of a water carrier who cherishes every moment of life. We all need to be more like that water carrier. Let me close with the words of Rabbi Sachs. Judaism is about taking life in both hands and making a blessing over it. It is as if God had said to us, I made all this for you. This is my gift. Enjoy it and help others to enjoy it. Whether, wherever you can, heal some of the pain that people inflict on one another or the thousand natural shocks that we all experience as life unfolds. Because pain, sadness, fear, anger, envy, resentment, these are things that cloud your vision and separate you from others and from me. That's God's message to us. Kierkegaard once wrote, it takes moral courage to grieve. It takes religious courage, courage to rejoice, said Rabbi Sachs. I believe that with all my heart. I am moved by the way Jews who know what it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death still see joy as the supreme religious emotion. Every day we begin our morning prayers with a list of thank yous. We thank God that we are here with a world to live in and family and friends to love and be loved by that we are about to start a day full of possibilities in which by acts of loving kindness we allow God's presence to flow through us into the lives of others. Joy helps heal some of the wounds of our injured
troubled world. That is why joy is so important. Thank you.